Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished brown, bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, recently, uh, Bobby Knight died. He's a... Uh, that hothead coach, famous at Indiana University before he left. And it got me to thinking about um, my own college experience, basketball experience. Uh, I, didn't predict, I didn't predict that <laughs> um, emotion, uh, but uh, <laughs> um, I was under a maniacal coach my first two years of college basketball. I have not done anything um, remotely as physically difficult as being under this guy. So six days a week in season, um, uh, he, he would break you down all over again. So if you had incremental growth, he would make sure to break it down before that practice was over, two and a half hours. And, and, and all my buddies, my teammates and I, I mean, game days were not, game days were a gift I, we never had a game as hard as a practice. So games, games were nothing, um, but it was those practices. And it made me think of Bobby Knight and my coach, Don Frank. And it's funny, as, um, uh, especially my, my second year in college, is that every single day I would have a dread for practice. I was anticipating it, but in the negative sense. I just had a dread for it. Um, I, I, I would even have dread for practice. No, if we didn't have a game the next week, I would have a dread for next week, and it hadn't even happened yet, and we'd be like, oh, you just, you just couldn't stand that it was coming. So there's an anticipation that you have that is filled with dread, okay? But there is uh, an anticipation that you have that's the good kind, of course, um, and it's that excitement. It, it's, and it's not just maybe for the gamble and the chance of what's ahead, maybe like an investment or something, but, but, but it's this excitement that you know that, no, this is for sure going to happen. And, and I, couldn't, I couldn't think of one that's greater. Like, I'm, I'm anticipating things that I think are for sure going to happen. But I couldn't think of one in a kind of a temporal sense that was more than 
uh, when I got engaged to Melissa, my wife, and I was like, oh, this is going to happen in a year from now. This is going to happen. I, I don't think I've since, uh, you know, that's, it's just you're always thinking about it. Oh, I can't wait until that happens. I can't wait until that happens. So there's this beautiful anticipation for uh, the beautiful and the lovely and the exciting and the new. Uh, and then there's this anticipation of the dread, right, the, the, the bad things that seem guaranteed. Um, in, in Christian history, uh, the time of Advent, and Advent is the time before Christmas. Traditionally, all throughout Christian history, you go back to first century, Advent is a time of looking forward to the second coming. Right? In Christian history, you celebrated Christmas in the 12 days after Christmas. Christmas and the 12 days after Christmas. So traditionally, Advent was all about the second coming. Now, I have capitulated to the American church in that everyone loves the warm and fuzziness of the little kid, the little baby, all right? So usually I, I, I make sure that Advent is all about the manger and all about the first coming, and, and you kind of just, you double down on that because it's, it is, it's a little happier. It feels, you know it, it's familiar. I mean, how, how dangerous can a little baby be, right? Um, but the, for the first time, I, I'm going I'm to preach through a series part, called Anticipation Through Revelation. I've never done it before in Advent. And part of that is, is I want us to latch on to something that is anticipatory. And what I mean by that is every single generation of Jesus' church, even in the Old Testament, has looked forward to something. And they didn't have it all figured out. It was mysterious, but they knew it was going to be good and it was going to happen. So they looked forward to the Messiah, right? The first incarnation, the swaddling claws. But this is what I wanted to do is have a series where we go through and what are you looking forward to to the end of days? And does it have any meat to it to where it matters for now? Is there a beauty and a certainty of it that is so exciting that it would do something for us as we prep for Christmas. Um, we get hints, and this is Christmas at the end of the world in Revelation. And this is what we get in Revelation 1. And I, was, I, I loved that, that Will, Will actually wrote that special refrain about gravity and grace for this sermon that we sang about. Because what we see in Revelation 1 is we're going to look for, we're going to anticipate now something that is so filled with gravity that we're frightened of it. And then it sweetly just spins into grace. And I think that's worth anticipating. So let's do this. What do we see in Revelation 1? And you can, you can open it on your Bible app or if you if you brought your real Bible, a real Bible, they're all real Bibles, you know, the, the physical Bible. Um, I, I want to touch on some of these images that we see there to see the gravity. Because I don't think that is something that normally you're like, oh, I'm going to anticipate something filled with gravity. But I just want you to look at some of the images there. We'll do this quickly. It says this, like a son of man. Now, what, I, what is really interesting is what we're going to see at the end of days, Christmas future, 
is, it says this, we're going to see someone resembling a human form, but different enough to where we have questions. Right? It's no form we've seen as a human being a human. Let me give you an example, of, of a scriptural example of where we see this. Um, do, you, do you remember after the resurrection, Jesus on the road to Emmaus runs into those two guys? And they don't recognize him. Like they have to walk seven miles and he says, oh, yeah, it's me. They're like, oh, yeah, that is you. So, so what we're going to see is something that is human 2.0, but it's going to be so different, we're going to be, we're going to have so many questions about it. Uh, Christmas future is going to look like the best version of humanity, but we're going to have a question mark. The gravity is building. Look at, this other little, uh, look at this other little image, if you will. It talks about this r long robe and a golden sash. Um, <laughs> this is, this is, you, we aren't going to find a one-to-one -one comparison here, but I, I want you to enter into it. Everyone knows this, is that you do not go shopping in a long, <laughs> long robe. Okay, um, and maybe to top it off with a golden sash. Like you're not going to the farmer's, farmer's market in like a long, long robe. Um, I, I, I spent some time ministering in West Alabama and I, I also spent some time in Selma, Alabama, um, epicenter civil rights movement. And um, I was at lunch with a friend of mine, a fellow minister of mine, and uh, we see this guy eating his meat and you know, two veg with cornbread. And I kid you not, he is in the booth and he has that a huge miter. You know those hats? He's just in, in, in the diner in Selma, Alabama and he has, it's, in the South they call this a get up, but it's a robe. He is fully vestments and robe. And I come to find out later, my buddy told me, he goes, oh yeah, his wife makes all of these things and it's bejeweled or what's that thing, that kid's kit? You know, is that bedazzled? <laughs> yeah, it is bedazzled and he is, okay, and he's a bishop. He calls himself a bishop. Now, he's the only one that called himself a bishop, all right? And the church is a church of one in Selma, Alabama, but this dude is the head of that church. And he lets everyone know, and he goes out, he goes shopping in the robe. And it's over the top. You're like, dude, you don't need a robe. Maybe on Sunday I'll let it slide, but come on. Um, I, this image that we get is someone wearing something that matches a very big event. Like, I don't want you to think this is grandpa in leisure wear, like a Hef, you know, Hugh Hefner terry cloth bathrobe, you know, with like a silk golden sash. I don't, I don't want you to think that here. It, it, it's this, is, um, 
It's almost as if like, we, I mean, we see this like at the Met Gala, maybe, or Kennedy Center, maybe, but no one's rocking a huge flowing robe that's extending for, like they don't even wear that to the Kennedy Center, right? This is the truth here. If you look like this, you are not going to an event. You are the event. Let me give you an example. My sisters, and this must have been in the 80s, some of you, I don't want to be gender specific here, but some of your ladies might remember this. My sisters woke up for Princess Di's you know, wedding. I did not. I was sleeping. I don't want to put that on any gender-specific things. Some guys here might have woken up for Princess Di's wedding. But that robe was obnoxious. Or <laughs> robe. What is that thing? Train. Th- train. Thank you, ladies. Oh, you woke up, didn't you? Um, but it was a train that went, like, to the back of the church. Like, she was not attending an event. She was the event. Right? So this is what we see, um, and, and I want you to contrast that with the first advent. Contrast the robe that is the event with swaddling cloths. And then at the end of his life, no clothes. All right, the intimidation is building because that is a big robe, and this is a, a human that looks like human 2.0, And then we get this, his hair is white, right? Perfect tie-in, right? We're not talking about Santa Claus, but but this is it, this is it. It's it's this electrify, it is this white, white, that unnaturally white hair. Um, and, And this is the cultural metaphor that you have, is white hair always throughout the scriptures is like wisdom, wisdom upon your head. And yet this is a vigorous and Wisdom that is full of vitality. Who sees a shock of white? um, This isn't Santa cuddly grandpa um, white hair. Melissa's maternal grandfather, we called him Papa, he he had white long hair. He looked like a a Tennessee volunteer, you know? um, But but he just grow hair into his 90s. But we're not talking like that. We're talking white, white, vigorous, at, at the peak of, of masculinity and humanity, and he's rocking like storm-esque. Now, I want you to contrast that with the first advent. At the end of his first arrival, his, his hair was sort of matted and crusty at a dark brown, maroonish red, and we see white. All right, look at this next picture. Eyes like flame of fire. Now, th- this is really interesting. Is um, They're blazing, they're piercing, and this is what's fascinating about this, uh, especially throughout Jewish poetic literature, is um, the, and it's like English literature or poetry, but especially in Jewish literature, is the eyes help understand a person. Like when they dart and they shift and they blink and they look away and they avoid or they lock on, it, it, it clues you in on so much. And these eyes are inscrutable. 
You don't read those eyes. They read you. There's no play here. Like, you can't make moves. These eyes just look at you. Now, contrast that with the first advent when you get these eyes capable of baby tears. Cute, for sure. And then eyes that weep over Jerusalem. Weep because Lazarus, Lazarus, his friend, tasted death. But these are not wet eyes. These are eyes ablaze. All right, look at this next picture. Feet like burnished bronze. Now this one again has a little bit more cultural poetic picture to it. Um, very common to be barefoot in the ancient world. Um, sandals, boots, leather coverings. Um, you, you know, it protects you from the harsh earth, the pokely, poke, pricklies and the pokies and the sharp edge rocks and you name it, and the filth. I mean, it, it protects like just like the stuff you have on and I have on. It protects you. And this is what's fascinating is like <laughs> this picture of Jesus is unshod. Why? The earth needs covering. He needs no covering. There is nothing that he treads on that will touch him. It's intimidating. The gravity is building about this, this person we're going to see. Next picture. Or, or let's contrast that, those feet of burnished bronze from the first advent. When he left that first coming, those feet were so pierceable, weren't they? So pierceable. Look at this. There's a voice, and it sounds like the roar of many waters. Have you ever been in a place, I, I guess I could think of Hawaii maybe as a place where you're always around a constant crash. Not the lapping of gentle waves that are constantly rolling in, but I mean absolute walls of water that are always crashing. And that is not the place to have a conversation with your sweetie. You know that I love you, right? <laughs> Not romantic. But it is Hawaii, I grant you that. You just can't communicate a lot. Um, this is what's huge. The voice with the sound of many, many waters. It, your opinions are not heard. You know the arguments you made up in private and you said, this is what I'm going to totally say. Not heard. All your crafted rationale, not heard. They don't matter. 
That's gravity. Contrast that with the first advent. The Son of God has Q&A sessions. Back and forth. Patient, like nobody's business. Accepts pushback. Anger. Disagreement. Not in Revelation 1. The opinion box is closed. It says that he's holding seven, holding seven stars, and it unlocks it for us in the passage, at the end of the passage in verses 19 and 20. It says, oh, you know what those means? That's the global church. That's all these regional churches. It's all of his people, and he holds them in his hand. And it says, in his mouth, there comes from his mouth a double two-edged sword. Now, this is poetic, and it's imagery, and it's metaphor, but where have we seen a sword like that? Adam and Eve leave Eden and they look back and there's a flaming sword. What does that say? It says, if you're ever gonna get back to where things are perfect, there has to be absolute judgment for what went down. So we're seeing it for the first time. Oh, there's judgment in Revelation 1? I just want you to get the grab. You're like, whoa, this is a weird future Christmas. This is a weird. This is, this is more than I signed up for. I, you know what? Pumpkin spice maybe isn't that bad. This is Christmas future. We see this absolutely terrifying figure that is intimidating. And it beats any Marvel character you can come up with. Because with a Marvel character, they can serialize it in 15 movies to show you that, oh, this is the way in which this character could probably be defeated so it doesn't hurt mankind. Now, it would take 15 movies to do it, but you still. And this character, this person, will not be defeated. Is that intimidating? It's that intimidating. Now, why would we anticipate this? This sounds like me dreading my basketball practices, my Bobby Knight maniacal coach. Why would we anticipate this? I mean, this is not a plush toy Jesus. Like, this is for certainly not a commercially viable Santa-esque Jesus that we could get us through the season and we could put on the mantle or you know, at least next to the scented candles and stuff. I, I made this um, comic from, from, this is the line, the witch in the wardrobe. And there she is. Familiar passage to a lot of people. She's talking to Beaver. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie. And no mistake if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking. They're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe. Safe! Who said anything about safe? 
he's good. He's the king, I tell you. This is gorgeous in Revelation 1. Because John hits the deck. That's all he's got. He's like... can't stand before this person. And Jesus, who is no less terrifying at this point, puts his hand, his right hand, that's holding the churches, his people, he puts his hand on John and he goes, you don't have to be afraid. I have the keys to heaven. I have the keys to hell. I was once dead. I'm alive now. Point to a person who did that. And it's grace. That's what, you, that's what we're anticipating. This God who is terrifying is your God and you are his and he's saying, you don't have to worry. But this is the beautiful thing here is he has so much power and that long robe that is deserved. And it means that every single thing that is assaulting your mind and your senses and your heart right now, it means that they are under the command of that frightening figure. And it means that everything that you hate about yourself or in other people or what's happening in the world is going to be made right by a terrifying figure who is on your side. That's Christmas future. I can anticipate that. And I know you can too. Let's pray. Our Father, um, as you bring us Christmas at the end of days, as, as C.S. Lewis said, um, that means our life has just been the preface to the book. Build in us an anticipation for not just all things made right, but the person who is all rightness. Stir in our hearts this 
ability to bow, and I mean that metaphorically, our bow, our heads and our minds and our actions to this Jesus who's filled with gravity. But would you exhilarate our hearts, especially now in this Advent season, with absolute joy of anticipation that this is a guarantee and it's coming. So give us that anticipation of Christmas at the end of days and be with us by your spirit, we pray, amen.